Hello and welcome to Cybercrime Investigations. Looking for the love bug with Jeff White and Glenn Goodman. So I jump in a taxi, I go over there. And again, this shopping mall has an entire floor of tech shops. Like it's a proper shopping mall, but there's tech shops. And then in the back of the mall, there's like a little sort of area of, of st- like stalls, little booths, mm. you know, grungy, obviously cheaper, grungy booths. So I start showing the name again. And as I get into this like back section where the light runs out and the electricity is starting to run out, somebody says, oh, yes, he's down at that stall there. So I go to the stall. And I'm like, surely, surely the news gods must be with me. Yeah. And he's not there. It's his day off. <laughs> it's his day off. I'm like, what? So he's, and the, the thing about that was I was due to fly out of the Philippines the following day. Oh, no. So I've been trying all week to get this. And literally, I've got 24 hours left. And I said, so what time is he going to be here? And his mate said, oh, he'll maybe be back, um, I don't know, four, four o'clock tomorrow. I'm like, well, my flight's at seven. Oh, oh my God. That's tight. And I go back. He says he'll be here in the morning, come in the morning. So I managed to get to the stall in the morning. He's not there. Nobody's there. I'm in the shopping mall. I don't want to go anywhere. I, I don't want to leave this location because I'm like, I have fought so hard to get this. I'm staying here. Yeah. So I ended up going and watching a film in the thing and then reading a book. I spent literally eight hours or six hours, whatever, in this shopping mall waiting for him. And I'm just thinking, God, I'm sending him a text message. I've got his number. I'm texting him. And I'm just thinking, A, this is bullshit it's it's a it's a wild goose chase it's not him and b even if it is him he's not going to turn up he's so flaky and i'm just gonna have to leave the philippines and someone might have warned him as well yeah someone was looking for him yeah and also you know i was like i'm a journalist i'm interested in this thing he knows what i'm after he knows that that it's about the the love bug thing so he's got every option i mean why would you you know why would you do that i wouldn't and so the next day sure enough he he turns up at the stall and I look at him and I think, mm, he kind of looks like the picture, but the picture's 20 years old and he's holding his cloth up to his face and he's got sunglasses. And I, I, was, I was looking, thinking, is it him? Is it him? Did he have acne scarring? A little bit, but not so much that you, would, that you could link it to the thing. Yeah. So I sit down and I start speaking to him and I'm thinking, how am I going to be definitive <clears throat> about linking you to, you know? And then I look and he's got moles on his face. Oh, that's handy. So I start in my notepad. He thinks I'm making notes of the conversation. I'm actually drawing his face with the moles on it <laughs> so that I can compare it <coughs> to, the, to the picture from 20 years ago. Um, and then he starts talking. I, also, the other thing is, I don't know about you, like preparing for an interview like that, you know, I'm always thinking, okay, they're going to try and get out of it. They're going to be evasive. Yeah. You know, you'll have had this, people trying to sort of, you know, so you kind of go in with your, you know, your, your arguments all prepared and everything. Yeah. Um, so I thought I'd have to get him to, you know, I'd have to, you know, manoeuvre him to the point where he's got no choice but to admit it. And he just starts, you know, literally at the beginning, he's like, yep, yeah, yep, yeah, it was a Trojan virus. Yep, yeah, I, I remember it. I remember it well. And I'm, he's like, what? You... Why is he being so honest? I think no one's really spoken to him about it for probably, well, 20 years. Um, is he not worried about getting... Prosecuted, you know, the laws have probably changed in the Philippines. They have, but you can't. I mean, 20 years, you there's no way, even if they drew the most, you know, insane statute of limitations, you know, 
after 20 years, you're just not going to be able to prosecute somebody for it. Um, it's a cold case. Cold case, don't, yeah, but... Don't people prosecute cold cases? Well, y- yes, but... but um, yeah, I suppose so. They could go back, maybe, but... I don't know. I'd be stunned if anybody revives it. It's so long in the past. I know. I'm just thinking what was in it for him, well, to be honest. You yeah. know, if it was me, I would have just gone, no, don't know what you're talking about. It's a, it's a really See good point. See Jeff. I think, you know, he wanted to get it off his chest after 20 years. Um, and also, I was, you know, I was quite interested in how it came about. And there was this really interesting story. So I was like, so what, you know... Well, was what... he proud of it? Is he, is he, like, kind of showing off? Is that what this is about? I think part of him... Was a very small part of him is proud of it that you know it was a code that was very effective. I mean, it spread to forty-five million computers around the world. Like yeah. it was very, very effective. Um, and you know, he'd obviously worked on viruses before, and you know, this was in a way a sort of crowning glory. However, he was very clear that he deeply regrets the amount of damage it caused. How far he had said he had no idea it was going to spread as far as the US, US and Europe and, and worldwide. And of course, he didn't make any money out of it no, either. He made absolutely not a bean out of it. And and what's he, really sad he is should he should have thought of that. You see, he um, <laughs> should have written something in. You know, yeah. you need to send. Well, you couldn't send Bitcoin yeah, in those yeah, days, yeah, but you know, yeah. you need to give us this money. Blah blah blah. Yeah, yeah. But he wasn't. So the backstory to it is. Um, well, I mean, it stole passwords, didn't it? For heaven's sake, it did. It did. And here's so why. maybe he. I mean, is that a possible? Uh, I mean, you've, I'm sure you've already thought of this, but did he? Um, you know, were those pass passwords sold on to anyone or almost as a batch? Certainly not, because so here's what happened. He, he um, do you remember the old dial-up internet? You know, where you you plugged the modem into the phone line and you I know. Remember it well. Yes. And then your housemate would pick up the what phone. Was it free serve. Free serve. Oh, I had God. a free serve email address. Yeah, mm. those old discs they were mailing out, and then. And just yeah. just as your just as your dodgy JPEG was about to download or whatever, your yeah. your housemate would pick up the phone and to call their you know boyfriend or girlfriend, and 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 then the the the, the connection would crash and you'd lose your connection, or yeah. they'd be greeted by like howling static on the end of the phone. It was this was the era of that, uh, and of course you needed a password. You needed um, a password to get online. Um, yeah. yeah. So Onel de Gutzman was was poor and uh, too poor to afford the passwords to get online. But he saw the, you know, the growth of the Internet and he thought, well, the Internet is a human right. You know, I should be able to access this, which, you know, think about it. It's a it's a, a view that's ahead of its time. Mm. So he designed a password stealing virus um, and he started sending it out to people in the Philippines so that he could steal their passwords so that he could then get online. And that was his that was his his. The, the the origin of the virus was a password. And he only needed one password. <laughs> well, yes. Did I, he have to steal everyone in the world's passwords? There's a t- seems good, like overkill. Yes. There's know? a good a good question about that. Um, <laughs> but anyway, so he created this thing, and then he he used to hang around in chat rooms, and he would. Um, so actually, yeah, possibly the answer to that question is this: he would hang around in chat rooms. He would convince people to click on his email by convincing them that you know there's a picture for them that he had they would download the virus he would steal their password presumably then once the internet company realized that password's being used twice they would cancel that account so he had to keep keep doing this you know right. to, to get his supply of passwords yeah <laughs> hmm. uh, yeah yeah i suppose so anyway just, yeah okay all right carry on he then so that was that was sort of spring of, tw- of 2000 by may april may of 2000 he decides he's going to tweak it, and he makes two 
tweaks. Number one, he, he, he makes the tweak of the auto-spreader. So instead of him just having to email his virus out, he makes it so it automatically spreads to people's contacts. So it's a worm virus. Right. And obviously the big problem with that is as soon as you, you release that, you've got no off switch. You've got no, no way of controlling it. Yeah. So basically you're creating a, a, you know, a, a worm virus that's going to be completely outside your control. And the second thing he's thinking is if he's going to send it to people and then they're going to send it to people and they're going to send it to people, there needs to be a lure for people to click on it that's not just him saying, please click on it, it's, it's a picture, it's important for you. There needs to be a lure that, that is common to everybody, that everybody will fall for all around the world, no matter who sent it to them. And, of course, that's when he hits on the love letter. It's like, what does everybody want? A love letter. So what was he, the title of the email that went around? Uh, it was, I think it was called Love Letter for You. Yeah, I'd open that. And yeah, and the, and the attachment was called Love Letter for You. So, so that was the whole point. He's like, okay, if this is going to spread outside of my control and spread from person to person, how can I, how can I name it something that everybody's going to fall for all around the world? It's a stroke of genius. And this is the amazing thing about Love Bug. It worked because everybody wants love. <laughs> that was yeah. the sort of... Um, well, so, hold on, what was the other bloke? Uh, Michael Bublé. Michael Bublé. What, what was he doing? <laughs> Michael Buen. Well, yes, I asked about that because the, the problem with, with nobody being charged was obviously it's been this big mystery. And if you look at the Love Bug stuff online, most people credit Onel de Gutzman, um, a guy called Rionel Ramones, who was a sort of flatmate of his, and, and or Michael Buen. Those are the three names that come up. And it's usually Onel de Gutzman, the guy in the press conference, and Michael Buen, who are credited. And sometimes people say it's Michael Buen himself who wrote it. So I asked Onel about this, and I said, look, Michael Buen, did he do it? Onel de Gutzman said no. Michael Buen was not part of this. They'd coded together, they'd done viruses together, but Buen was not part of the love bug. So one of the things I can do, at least after 20 years, is, according to Onel de Gutzman, just exonerate Michael Buen and just make it clear, according to the guy who's admitted to it, Buen had nothing to do with it. It was just right. Onel de Gutzman. <clears throat> so Onel de Gutzman develops his super-duper auto-spreading virus with the love bug, love letter, lure. Um, and then he emails it to somebody in the Philippines, uh, in, in Singapore, rather, who opens it up. So that's basically, it's late at night, de Gutzman is online with this guy in the Singapore, sends him the virus, and that's it. De Gutzman kind of forgets about it and goes out drinking with a mate. <laughs> Gets very, very drunk, not realising that from that moment onwards, the virus is just getting bigger and bigger. And there's this tidal wave that he's just unleashed. (laughs) (laughs) And I just love that idea of like, I'm done. I'm going for some beers. (laughs) And the next thing you know... (laughs) I mean, how quickly did it spread? Was it already like the next morning when he woke up hungover yeah. and it already spread it, around it, the world? It's been interesting. Another sort of echo of coronavirus. It started obviously in, in, in Singapore and Singapore is, starts to be awake and starts to be online. And as the sun moves around and as each country wakes up, the virus moves from east to west. So it starts in Asia, then it spreads through sort of India, then it gets into Europe, then it gets into the US. So, you know, as each office wakes up, somebody somewhere has the email address for somebody in the next country along, if you like. And, you know, so that's how the virus replicated. And, of course, you know, you wake up first thing in the morning, you've maybe not watched the news or the news hasn't even broken yet. You see Love Letter in your inbox. Even if you think it's a joke, you're still going to open it up. And some people thought it was a text document anyway. So, you know, yeah. So that's how the whole thing rolled. Police... 
No, sorry, I was going to say, yeah, because, I mean, it wasn't a well-known thing no. at that point anyway, so why would anybody exactly. not open the email? Exactly. It's not something anybody had been warned about. Exactly. So this tidal wave spreads around the world. Then the police come knocking at apartments in the Philippines. O'Neill de Gutzman's mum, apparently, found out that the police were searching apartments, knew that O'Neill was into some stuff with computers, and so she hid all his computer equipment. And... Um, except the diskettes, those little those little floppy disks we've talked about. So mm. she thought, well, I don't know what those are. So I'm not going to. I don't know. Presumably that's what she thought. I'm not sure. But she hid the computer equipment, but left the diskettes out. So when the police analysed the disks, they found Michael Buen's name, and mm. that was how he ended up getting getting into it. So that was the story of Onel de Gutzman. And weirdly enough he'd submitted uh, a thesis proposal the year before to his college about a password stealing virus <laughs> <laughs> and they'd said no we can't do this this is criminal and he'd gone on and done it anyway um he never it's quite sad he never went back to college um and there was just a sort of poignant moment at the end of the interview when we kind of you know spent an hour with him you know and we go back and there's this tiny cramped stall that looks like something out of Blade Runner in the back of this shopping mall with him mm. and his mate surrounded by voltmeters and soldering irons and stuff and and that and was you're where thinking he could have been a contender he could have been a contender I know I know well the, the gossip was after you know he went to ground was that he got hired by Microsoft or worked for the UN or so there's all these sort of rumors of where he'd gone and actually he never left Melilla as far as I'm aware he's certainly still there now and and yeah, he never, as you say, he never made a bean of money out of it. So sad. So sad. People like to think that there's some kind of, I mean, it's not just it, it wouldn't be justice, but people <laughs> like to think that, you know, that that's what happens mm. to you, isn't it? It's yeah. like you create this, this notorious virus and mm -hmm. then the CIA come to your house yeah. and go, we want to hire you, yeah. like in some film. But <laughs> in real life... Like the people at the CIA probably thought, oh, that was quite clever of him. Yes. Anyway, what's for? T uh, you're gonna make some coffee. You're gonna do a round. Yes. You know, it's like yeah, yeah. on yeah. to forget about him and move on with the rest of their lives. That's that's how yeah. real life works. Yeah. Is that and also, unless he went knocking, he he probably wasn't gonna get anything. Yeah, yeah. There are. It's interesting. There's a mix of stories with that. So like, there are some hackers who, if you're convicted of a hacking offence lots of companies won't touch you because in order to be vetted for government contracts, you, you can't have a criminal record for hacking. So that's instantly, you're excluded from a lot of bank contracts, a lot of government contracts. So what about the white hat? The, if you, yeah, if you stayed on the right side or slash never been caught, <laughs> you might be able to get a job. So you can't go from black hat to white hat it's, that easily then? It's difficult. I mean, you will remember the story of um, uh, Marcus Hutchins, who was the guy who managed to bring the WannaCry virus to a halt. Do you remember that yes. guy, that kid? Yeah. Who obviously seemed like a hero, and then it turned out had actually had quite a dark past, had... Um, helped write a computer virus that he was then uh, convicted for. So it's it's quite difficult to, even if you seem to outrun your past, to escape it is a different thing. Um, there are instances though of people who past. the dark past. People, you know, there are instances of people who, you know, who 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 get hired. So the the guy from um, Catch Me If You Can, Frank Abnagale, do you remember him? Mm. He he's you know he's now a consultant for the U.S. government on fraud. You know, and he he managed to you know to turn that that history into a career exactly and in the trading world i constantly come across the uh, the original rogue trader Nick oh Leeson, yes yeah 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 you know he's he's been involved with the asset management industry and the trading industry 
for for quite a while now after after his prison but sentence was served there's an interesting thing in that yes so for him he's gone on after it but there's obviously a certain level of notoriety or infamy you need because there's loads of other traders who've broken the trading laws and done prison time but you know, I presume you don't bump into them on the on the sort of circuit. You know what I mean? You need. Oh, you I need haven't a... seen Bernie Madoff. <laughs> anyway, so that that is the the story of another person. Well, he, of course, what what he did massively flag up was that you know computers, internet connected computers, were suddenly something that was vulnerable on a massive scale, and that mm. you could get your virus onto forty five million machines. And if you could avoid being spotted, you would then have 45 million virus machines. If you like, you know, an elder Gutzman, he didn't invent computer viruses or computer worms. He didn't invent the idea of, you know, a lure and an email to trick people into clicking it. What he did was basically illuminated quite how massive that industry could be. And as they say, the last 20 years is history. It's been partly, partly his legacy, if you like. Yeah, I, I feel bad for him just slaving away in that... Uh mobile phone shop he should get his due shouldn't he? he should at least be speaking at conferences and that kind of thing at the very least well yes exactly and i i you know perhaps revealing the fact that he is actually the guy behind it after 20 years i don't know does that put the whole thing to rest for him or give him a whole new bunch of headaches i don't it's know just, I hope it's, it's the, the fact that he didn't make any money out of no. it that makes me feel so sorry for him yeah i mean you know, i mean not that i'm saying it would have been good if he had <laughs> made money out of it that's not what i'm trying to say i'm just saying you know, he wasn't that kind of criminal, see what I mean. But this is the thing, uh, you know, uh, at that point in history, um, there's this really interesting turning point. Again, the reason I wanted to concentrate on Lovebug and that particular thing was, it's not quite this binary, but roughly speaking, before that time, they're making money out of computer crime was often about stealing, you know, often credit card details, mm. but then doing with a stolen credit card detail what you would do with a one that you'd stolen from somebody's handbag. You just, you launder the money, you buy something, sell it, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. So a lot of the computerized crime, if you like, before that 2000 Lovebug thing, wasn't that profitable and relied on normal crime anyway. Most people who wrote viruses, the Morris worm we've talked about, Melissa we've talked about, Lovebug, didn't make money. Most people who worked, you know, hacking generally didn't make money. It, as it's not quite this binary, but you can see a rise from 2000 onwards, where suddenly, with the rise of online banking, with the rise of, of e-commerce and credit card boats online, suddenly this entire vista of not just being able to use viruses and write viruses, but to make money and make money at scale, suddenly that takes off. And, and the fraud rates on, on, on credit cards going into the 2000s and the, the fraud rates on online banking, you see these massive rises around those times because suddenly people are like, oh, quirky, I can make money, unlike our man Onelda Gutzman. And that's his story. He could at least be invited to speak at the, the annual conference of internet criminals or something. <laughs> there must be some kind of evil mastermind <laughs> conference. Um, yeah, In a I, cave I, somewhere, you know, <laughs> one of those underground lairs. <laughs> if there isn't, we should set it up. Maybe that'll be my next task. The, uh, yeah, crime con. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And he could be guest of honour. It's, it's only fitting. I don't know. I don't know why. I've, I shouldn't feel sorry for him because really he got... He got the good thing. The good thing was he didn't actually get convicted or even that's tried true. and have to go to prison. That's that's really his his uh, reward. That, that is true. That is true. But it, well, yes and no. I mean, what he's what he's had is this hanging over him. And also, interestingly, you know, he does say every now and again, you know, somebody recognizes him, and he, you know, he doesn't massively like the infamy. Um, so, in a way, if he 
you know, been convicted for it, done his time, and could then, as you know, as you say, like people like uh, Nick Leeson could 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 go on and get a career, you know, going straight after his prison time. In a way, maybe his life would have been different. In a way, he's sort of got the worst of both worlds. You know, he's he's guilty, but has never never had that sealed off into his past. Never sort of had closure on that. So, anyway, anyway, it's an interesting surname. Is he related to me? Do you think? Gutsman. Yeah, it's not Goodman. Well, it's pretty similar, isn't it? <laughs> oh my god, I can't believe you're closing this whole podcast off by trying to hop on the infamy train. <laughs> how, do you spell, how do you spell Gutsman? G U Z M A N. That is so a bastardization <laughs> of Goodman, isn't it? It is. My my grandfather's surname was Goodman. G U T M A N. Oh well, okay. You're clearly right. You're clearly related. You're you're part of a, an honourable. Computer crime dynasty. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm going to go and meet up with my long lost cousin. <laughs> going to do Ancestry.com to confirm the link. It's going to be great. Oh, I, I wish both of you well in your forthcoming careers. Thank you. <laughs> that was Cybercrime Investigations Looking for the Love Bug with Jeff White and Glenn Goodman. Thanks for listening. Catch you again next time. Thank you.